So uh, welcome, listeners, to another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. I am Raymond Hawkins, recording here on, the, I think, the 11th of August. I sometimes know it's the 12th. Sometimes I lose track of the days. Here the 12th of August uh, in our Dallas uh, headquarters, and we are joined today by my friend and now repeat guest, the global editor of Data Center Dynamics, Peter Judge. Peter, last time we did this, I didn't get to see your face, so this is a thousand times better. Peter, thanks for joining me again. Yeah. Okay, so when when you when you ask for the next one to be audio only, I'll understand. <laughs> That's right. We both, we, I know I qualify as having a face for radio. You, I think, are a little better off. But uh, no, we're super happy to get to do this, and uh, and our and our listeners. I think uh, we we definitely see higher engagement now with these uh, video recordings. So good stuff, and we're glad to do it. So so Peter, um, for folks that weren't with us, I think you and I recorded our first session together almost a year ago. I think it was last summer. Um, I, I should have looked it up, but I think it's been about a year. Do you remember the date? I don't. I know it was last summer, I think. Yeah, that's right. We we were in the middle of a pandemic and sitting at our desks, and um, so much has changed since then. Yes, yeah, a lot. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> a lot has changed except that um, not much. Yeah, the world the world yeah. is uh, understands the pandemic a lot better, but uh, man, what, what, what a... Uh, Never thought the world would look this way. Uh, it's it's been an incredible change. But if if you don't mind, Peter, lo- love for you to take. I think uh, as we talk about things that that you know really well and areas of your expertise, for folks to get to hear a little bit about you. I know uh, for some of the folks that didn't hear the first time, do you mind giving us two or three minutes uh, on just you, H- how you got in the in the publishing business, how you got in the writing business, how you got in the business to write about technology, and then how you got in the data center business, and then a little bit about where you're from. So let's. I think it's our. our listeners always enjoy hearing the who before they hear the what so you don't do you mind giving us a little peter judge background yeah that's fine um i um studied science at university um i did also do a little side degree in art after that um but um found myself afterwards just falling into a job as this as being um uh, a technical editor and writer round about the time that um, PCs and then the internet were appearing. And um, essentially from then till now, it's been a continuous process of seeing everything coming and you know, cycle after cycle of um, change happening so that we kind of, um, there's, there's always more to, to write and understand. So, you know, networks, security, um, and now the, the data center digital infrastructure uh, revolution. Um, it's kept me um, busy, interested, and engaged so far. Um, and uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. As we do in every episode of Not Your Father's Data Center, we have trivia questions. So please feel free to email your answers. You can email me directly at rhawkins at compassdatacenters.com. Feel free to answer. Uh, everyone who gets the answers correct will win Amazon gift cards. So mail in your answers. And the first one is a all of them this time are multiple choice. The first one being in what year was the Turing test proposed? Uh, a 1948, B 1949, C 1950, or D 1951. Those are your multiple choices for what year were the Turing test was the Turing test proposed? Question number two. What was the name of the first computer system to beat the world chess champion? Was it A, Big Red, B, Yellow Dog, C, Green Machine, or D, Deep Blue? 
trivia question number two, what was the name of the first computer system to beat the world chess champion? And for our third question, according to Statista, how big will the AR market be by 2025, just four years from now? Uh, 126 billion, 221 billion, 301 billion, or 350 billion? According to Statista, how big will the AR market be in 2025? 126 billion, 221 billion, 301 billion, or 350 billion.、Uh, mail your answers. Email your answers to me at、uh, rhawkins@compassdatacenters.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And as always, we are super grateful for Peter Judge joining us. So, so Peter, let's take a minute. You, you recently wrote an article about AI.、Uh, you know, I'm sort of jumping subjects here for a second, but if you're if you're willing to talk a little bit about AI with us,、um, you know, you you asked your you you hear this term ethical AI.、Uh, I think there are questions about what what do we get.、Uh, there, there's certainly lots of movie、um, you know subjects around、uh, you know what you think of. I, I think of some, maybe some classic examples.、Uh, what was it? The the precogs. I'm trying Trying to think of the movie with Tom Cruise where they tried to anticipate people were、uh, uh, um, going to commit crimes. That was all around yeah, some sort of artificial report. minority report. That's it. I could thank you for helping me remember. Right, you, you have these movie images and and then、uh, iRobot with all kinds of intelligence inside、uh, the robots that I think Will Smith battled out.、Uh, so, so there's there's these movie movie images of of what can AI be. But can you take us a few minutes?、Uh, give us a few minutes around the idea of what is ethical AI and, and what do we think of it?、Uh, I think of you know Deep Blue winning chess games, <laughs> but that, but that date that dates me a little. Bit. What, what what are we really thinking about when we talk about ethical AI? Um, there, are, the first thing I would say is that is there are people who are much more expert in this than me. Um, however, um, yeah, the I think the first thought is when you can have um, uh, systems that um. Can、uh, to some extent sort of calculate and think,、um, and they do it fast. You're you you reach a slightly、um, undetermined area where it, you're not sure where what the response you're going to get back and where it's coming from. So it, it's really important to understand the algorithms that are behind it and to understand、um, why they're coming to the、uh, conclusions they are. And I think. Um, I would have thought that my ethical AI is as much about the、um, uh, the people that are、um, using it as about the AI itself. So you know, it, we're we're not worried that、um, uh, AI systems are going to come to wrong conclusions because that's something that、um, you know.、Uh, it, what, what we are worried about is if we. Put them into positions of responsibility that they aren't ready for. It's 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 more about the、um, uh, the uses of it rather than the、uh, technology itself. So you know, it's it, it it's a bit. I suppose it's a bit like when people say guns don't kill people.、Um, you know, it's people using them.、Um, it's the same with AI.、Uh, it, it's it, it's not even important to us to know whether it's thinking or not. It's just if you've got a technology. That can do something. You need to be sure that what it's doing is what you want it to do. So, Peter, could you give us a little bit? So, so I'm in complete agreement. I think you're absolutely right. Could you give us a minute? I think there's two ethical questions in in, in AI. To your point. 
um, we program the the uh, algorithms, right? We meaning humans, right? There's some assumption or some thought that is written into the algorithm, some um, hypothesis, right? And that is an opportunity for an ethical question. And then how that AI gets deployed. Are we using it to help us figure out how to cure cancer? Are we using it how to find criminals' faces that go through the airports? Or are we using it for some nefarious thing? So I think there's two different ends of that ethical question. Who built the algorithm and why? And what are they, what's their hypothesis behind it? And then how do they intend to deploy it? I think are the two I hear you describing. Did I do that accurately, Peter? Yeah. I mean, what we designed the algorithm to do, the problem there is our understanding, really, of um, of what we've asked it to do. So, I mean, there's uh, and a lot of um, algorithms are just so poorly designed and thought out, they don't actually do what we think they're going to do. So, you know, uh, earlier in this year, um, someone there's been a lot of talk about how we might it's really topical that we could use ai maybe to diagnose covid well or to evaluate treatments well because you know on a on a sort of even a quite sort of simple sort of machine learning level just to examine all the data that you've got and pick out patterns that haven't you haven't otherwise thought of or to you know examine a whole lot of chest x-rays and see which people have got covid or not i mean the um and um, there was a yeah a, a, a professor um, who kind of thought, well, how well is this going? Um, and looked into the um, uh, all, all the AI projects that have been tried for um, helping with COVID, and found that literally none of them had helped, and some of them were even like unhelpful. They were um, so, you know, for in, and, and, and a lot of it's just down to thinking things through before you start. Um, they, they, one, one AI project gate was really um, they thought they were really on something. They were showing it chest X-rays. Some people, some of them from people that they definitely knew had COVID and others from people who definitely didn't. Um, the only thing is that the people that didn't were younger than the people that had it. And they found they, they 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 within the um the training data they'd got the their system was really good at picking out the ones that had got COVID. Taken um, a completely different set of data, uh, and they and, and they looked. Um, it couldn't tell the difference between COVID and not COVID. All it could tell was the difference between young and old. So if you're if you're not sure of the data you're feeding it, and the way in which the algorithm's looking at it, um. You may think you've got an answer and you're not getting the answer that you think you are. So, you know, um, the, the fact that a lot of, um, AI, uh, sort of systems dealing with, um, facial recognition, et cetera, uh, inherently biased, um, by race because they're trained on, uh, on data coming from white people and, um, just don't know what they're doing when they're outside of that. And, um, you know, if the uh, researchers building those systems um, don't spot that because it's not something that they're um, aware of, it'll just um, get baked into the system and you'll end up with um, you'll end up with racist AI, not because AI is a bad thing, but because people didn't uh, realize that that was a possibility when they were making it. Yeah, and <laughs> that's something that even works. Yeah, with, with all sorts of technology. I mean, 
um, you don't, it doesn't have to be as complicated as AI. If you've got um, a blood pressure, a blood oximeter, uh, something that measures how much oxygen is in your blood, that could be a really good early warning sign of whether you've got um, uh, got COVID because your blood oxygen level goes right down. However, for th these things have been on sale for 20 years. They're really, you know, relied on. And it's only now that people are realising that they don't work because of the that they don't work if your skin's dark. Ah, yeah. So you know, yeah. the, the, it's again like any technology. You, if it's not, if you don't think of the um, uh, the, the problem, if you don't understand the problem you're trying to solve and um, understand the, uh, the the setup and the limitations that you've put around your your, your system you get something that's not going to uh, do the job. It, it, it'll, answer, it, it'll answer the question you asked, but uh, the question you asked may not be the question you thought you asked. Right. Yeah, I was reading your article in June about AI, and, and you talked about, hey, there's this promise we can, we can churn through these mountains and mountains of data. Well, churning through mountains of data doesn't inherently... Uh, change your hypothesis. It doesn't inherently change your understanding. Um, just because you can churn through a bunch, if you start with the wrong assumptions, you're just going to end up with the wrong conclusions is where, what I think I hear you describing, right? Or or with the same inherent mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I mean, simply piling more data into something, you know, increasing the size of the haystack doesn't make it that much more likely that you're going to find the needle. Um, uh, you know, it... it, it Maybe or does it change that it's hay? For it. <laughs> You're right, yeah, right. that's right. That's right, yeah. Look, it's a big mountain of hay. It's something different now. No, no, it's still a lot of hay, mm. and we're still looking for an yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe like other technologies, we're still at a stage where um, it's been oversold, and we're having to um, properly evaluate uh, how useful it is without um, junking it all together. Well, wow. I was not aware of the two examples you gave. Those are great. The the the, the oximeter and that the, we clip on our finger and, and also the chest x-ray. Just assuming, hey, we've got mountains and mountains of information. We're going to come to a better conclusion. You know, just not necessarily. Yeah. Mm. The, there may be patterns in the information you didn't know about. Yeah. And then, I mean, and that's the accidental misapplications. Yeah, you get applications which are questionable um uh by their nature you know if it, it's possible to use um analytics to find patterns uh in people's social activities online and then use those to um uh, to interfere with things you know it, it's documented that that's been um used to influence public votes in in your country and my country um you know the uh that's an example where um ai isn't isn't broken it's actually doing something quite effective it's just that we're not that happy with what it's done necessarily yeah we're quite certain that's what we want done with it right right yeah i think that's one of those where technology often outstrips what we think of we need to do legislatively right we're not uh, sure quite yet how to contact the, the notion that in my country hey you know all speech is protected um, okay what 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 qualifies as speech and what qualifies as protected and uh and, and how does it get managed? And it's all electronic interaction speech, just questions that we're not, we're not yet ready to, to have solved uh, legislatively, I don't think. Yeah. 
interesting. Those those are all great examples of, of for me how uh, how just applying technology didn't necessarily make things better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in most cases, you can see that things are uh, yes. You, know, you, you can pick up a smartphone and realize you, you you would you would rather have it than not have it. But there's a lot more nuance to the situation than than that. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this past week, and, and thought, thought um, as I look at the younger generation, and 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 the, the vast majority, or, or such a high percentage of their interaction with their friends is digital through this tiny little screen, and they didn't learn to read, you know, your body language and and the social cues for when I'm saying something and it's making you uncomfortable, or when you're ready to interject and I should pause so you can speak. All of that subtle stuff that you learned by just physically being around other human beings. I'm interested to see as this generation that's had so much of their social interaction be digital, how they uh, incorporate into the professional world. How, how do they map back to when they've got to go to an office and interact around other people that aren't their close friends and read those social cues and communicate effectively. I, I wonder how to, cause your point, there's so much greatness in this phone, but there's also, I think things that are changing how we interact. Mm. Yeah, and that move to there's another quest, conversation I've had this week. Really, um, in we we're all doing so much more um, through conversations like this online through a screen um, it's, um, during COVID, but it's really just an acceleration of what uh, the younger generation is going through and what society as a whole is going through. Um, there's some instances there around there where I think this is being um, oversold and overpromised. Um, people expect to be able to turn the whole um, justice system into a sort of a remote video interaction. Um, and there's a lot of um, uh, utopian thinking going on there that makes people think, yes, it's going to be great. But actually, you know, check the statistics. I think, um, you know, if your um, if your life's a bit more chaotic and you haven't got a space to do this, you're not going to come across well in a video conference. Um, and you know, it's proven that you know, for instance, um, people who are um, in in difficulties and they're they're at an employment tribunal. They will win their case half the time if they're in person in the call. They'll win their case 14% of the time if they're doing it, if, if all the judge sees of them is this two-inch um, face. It's a lot easier to dismiss people. It's a lot easier to uh, not really respond to the person you're seeing. It's a lot easier to convince yourself that you don't need to um, reach out to them and understand them if if they're uh tucked away in a on, on screen like that you know it's a a two-dimensional tiny view is not the same as you and i sitting across the table from each other it's just it's just not the same yeah yeah and you know in, in, in a more extreme version you know when people interact with people over um twitter and social media you know they can be completely inhuman to them because they stop seeing them as human yeah 
Yeah. I think of that phrase, the paper tiger, right? Someone that's willing to write you a nasty letter because you're not here, right? And that's an old term. Uh, and, and, and what we've gotten in Twitter is uber paper tigers, right? You know, I'm, not only am I mailing you a letter who of somebody I met, no, I'm not even doing that. I'm sending a, a 140 character ugly message to someone I'll never see. And, and, it, and it brings out, I think, in many ways brings out the worst in us, you know, here, here. Peter, thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you for spending a little time recording here on uh, Not Your Father's Data Center for our folks to listen to you again. You got rave reviews the first time, so we're happy to have you back. <laughs> Thanks, Raymond. Pleasure to be here, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.